we're looking at devotionals from the life of Jesus. And what I've tried to do is focus a group of them around a common concept that we find, especially in the Gospel of John. But it's not only there. You find it in other places as well. And the theme is that Jesus is the light of the world. And that's a marvelous, marvelous theme that we find. And, and John, especially in his gospel, laces that theme throughout. And it's woven into the tapestry of his presentation about Jesus in ways that may even surprise you some. So my goal in talking through these vignettes this morning is not only to give us some devotional ideas that may help change our lives, but also to make sure that we're learning and teaching and better understanding the Bible so that we've got more reading that we can do more in depth. I've got my brother Tim Wilson here this morning. And Tim is, is um, uh, Tim, can I tell him the story or is that too personal? It depends which one. <laughs> Before Tim was, was intimate in his walk with the Lord, uh, Tim said to me, uh, he said, uh, Mark, uh, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible. Tim's a voracious reader. He reads books like crazy. And I could envision Tim not having read the Bible before and not spending a lot of time in church. I could envision Tim starting with Genesis 1 and getting through Genesis and about half of Exodus and then just kind of hitting a wall because the the read through the Bible is pretty um, tough at that point. And so Tim was an inspiration for me to put together the context Bible in the way that, that I did. But Tim, I told him, I said, if you're going to read the Bible's a collection of books, start reading the Gospel of John. And so he did and he read it. He said to me, call me the next day or I called him. He said, I, I read it. It was great. And I said, he said, what do I read next? I said, read it again. And bless Tim's heart, I think over the first month of him starting to read the Bible, he spent every day reading the Gospel of John. But the Gospel of John, one theologian said, it's like this swimming pool. And it's got a shallow end where the new believer can climb in and just frolic and have a ball. But it's also got this deep end where the, the elephants can jump in and have a ball. So I don't know if you're an elephant believer or if you're a new believer. But the Gospel of John is a marvelous place to spend some time. And that's what we'll do for most of the vignettes this morning. And let's see what happens. So let's start with John 1, 4, and 5. Jesus, the light of the world. Women, men. Both. Here's the passage. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now as a man with four daughters and a wife, I always want to make sure that we're clear on something. So we're going to go to the Elmo. And we're going to get our Greek out of the way real early this morning. But here it is. This is a Greek word. A-N-T-H-R long O P-O-S. In English letters, that would be an A-N-T-H-R long O P 
P-O-S. Anthropos. Anthropos. Say it with me. Anthropos. Yeah, now our root here is the anthrop. And we get a word that many of you, we get a number of words, but one that you'll readily come up with. And what is it? Anthropology. Anthropology is the study of anthropology, the study of people. So this word anthropos is generally translated man, but it means people. So when the English Standard Version comes across it here in John 1, if we go back to the um, PowerPoint, they translate it, he was the light of men, but it means he was the light of people. And I point that out because I don't ever want my daughters or anybody else to think that this is a passage indicating that men have some special tie-in to the Lord and that women have a second-class status in the kingdom. As Paul said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female in the kingdom. So, with that, in Him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men, women. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I want you to do an experiment with me. If I had the boxes, we would do it with boxes, but I don't have the boxes. So we're going to do it ourselves in our brain, okay? Imagine two boxes. And these are boxes made of sturdy wood. And in one of these boxes... There is darkness. There's nothing in the box. There's not a shred of light. If the box were big enough or you were small enough to crawl inside the box, it would be absolutely pitch dark. No hint of any light. You got it? That's one box. Then there's another box. And in this other box, we have a light. Maybe candles is not proper because the oxygen, the candle blow out, etc. Make it a, a flashlight or a light bulb or an, I, uh, 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 an iPhone or one of the phone lights. But it's got a light in it. So inside one box, you've got absolute utter darkness. Inside the second box, you've got light. You with me? All right, here's the experiment. If you were to take that box of utter darkness and open it up, and, and heavens, take down the sides, would that darkness take over this room? No. What would happen to the darkness? It would be gone. If we were to take the box that had the light inside it and we were somehow able to make this whole room pitch dark where there's no light at all 
and we open up the box and we take down the sides and you've got that light inside the box, would the darkness put the light out? No. The light, however intense it is, for the duration of the intensity would actually enlighten the darkness. Right? Do you know why that happens? In a class this size, we've got people... In fact, I'm looking at one of them right there. People who know about this better than I do. But hey, I took science in seventh grade. So I've got some working knowledge on this one. I think that we can properly think of visible light, light that we can see, as waves of electromagnetic energy. They're electromagnetic waves. Think of if we were to do the wave in this room and we start with the hands and, and like you do it in a stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do the wave. Okay. And you'd, you'd, you could watch the wave go sweeping across the room. And in a round stadium, it's really cool because it just keeps going round and round and round. That's kind of what light is. It's, it's an energy wave. And, and it's got a certain height and depth, for lack of a better way of saying it. It's got a certain, um, uh, it, it, the waves can be further apart or nearer. These are the frequencies. These are the, 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 the things that determine whether or not the wave is one that we can see readily. Whether or not the wave is one that will pass through bricks or doesn't. And that's what light is. Light are waves. And we see certain things. We see a plant that is green because the light wave has got in it green. And that green will bounce off of that material right there so that I'll see the reflection of the green while everything else is absorbed. Black is black because it absorbs all of the light. So light is an interesting thing mechanically. We know that scientifically now. But I don't care about making you scientists. What I want you to do is understand what's an obvious gimme. And that is, if light is, is an electromagnetic wave, do you know what darkness is? It's where there aren't any. Darkness is a lack of those visible electromagnetic waves. You can have electromagnetic waves at a frequency that you don't see with the naked eye. But darkness is the lack of those waves. So, of course, if you've got the waves, you don't have the darkness. If you've got the darkness, you don't have the waves. They're mutually exclusive. You can't find an area where you say, well, I have the wave, but I don't have the wave. If the wave is there, you've got the wave. If the wave is not there, you don't have the wave. That's the scientific explanation behind the passage. But the passage is great. In Jesus, 
is life. And that life is the light of humanity. This is a light that shines in the darkness. The darkness can't overcome it. The light overcomes the darkness. Make sense? Now I love the fact that John ties this also into life. Because that same principle in an ex- to, to an extent works. If someone is alive... They're not dead. If they're dead, they're not alive. You with me? The two tend to be mutually exclusive. It's like being half pregnant. You just... Are you pregnant? Well, halfway. Yes or no. Okay, so what John is saying, and and here's where the analogy kind of breaks down a little bit. John is saying that, that Jesus is true life that comes to those of us who are spiritually and ultimately physically dead. Jesus brings us life. And 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 if he brings us the life. We've got it just as sure as light permeates darkness. We just need to live like it. Because it's there. Now, in a class this size, I regret to tell you that there are often those people who are too young to understand good music. And I often feel it incumbent upon me as a person up here teaching to enlighten those dark souls. <laughs> so let me tell you about a Jewish fellow named Robert Zimmerman, born in Hibbing, Minnesota. You might know him by his more common name, Bob Dylan. Or the Bob, as we call him. Now, the Bob came into the music scene in the 60s. And he was uh, quite popular for his lyrics. His ability to examine social issues. And and his, his kind of just coolness. And that lasted through the 60s and into the 70s. And then toward the mid to late 70s, he started attending a Bible study out in California. And in the process of this, this Jewish fella determined that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. And he put out a Christian album entitled Slow Train coming. Now, this is, in my opinion, I've never had a conversation with the Bob about it, but this is a slow train coming is both his understanding of faith 
It's also the main theme song that the album's titled after. Because it's also the certainty of Jesus and his kingdom coming as well. I love the album. If you'll see the album, the slow train's coming. But it's got the fellow with the pickaxe working on the train. And look at that axe. What does it look like? Cross. So on the album, there's a song called Precious Angel. Angel being from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. And this is a tremendous song that just seems to have been written for us to put into class today. You got faith or you got unbelief. And there's not a neutral ground. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of us aren't good at living that way. Some people are too religious to have the fun the world offers. But they're too in the world to have the joy that religion offers. Those are the fence straddlers. Who are absolutely miserable in life. Just need the light. Shine the light. Because... John 3, 1 through 3, Jesus is the answer. Now, I want you to look at this with me, recognizing we're talking about what John has to say about Jesus as the light. And I want you to try to find why I put this passage in there as one that follows our theme. It's the story of Nicodemus. This is the one that in verse 16 says, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Here it is. There was a man of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Archon in the, the Greek means a, a leader, an elder. Um, uh, uh, he was, he was um, one of the, the out front guys. A, lead, a ruler of the Jews. Now this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. We know that you're a teacher come from God. Because no one could do these signs that you do unless God's with them. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from anew, the Greek can read both, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now look at that. Where does it say Jesus is the light? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. By night. Now the odds are, if you've heard sermons preached on this, you've heard preachers do one of a couple of things. They get them from commentaries or from thoughts where you kind of put yourself into the context and you try to figure out, um, okay, uh, why would I have come to Jesus by night? And so there tend to be two schools of thought. One is that Nicodemus was too embarrassed as a leader of the Jews. He didn't want to be seen by everybody. And so he just kind of comes by the, the cloak of night. So that he can uh, uh, find out and, 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 and get his curiosity met. Another view is, is that Jesus was really tough to come have a conversation with during the day. 
And this is Jesus who at his height of popularity, the people are so around him that at one point they got to cut through the roof to lower in a lame man from down from above because they can't get through the door. The idea of being able to sit down with Jesus and have a, some hummus and pita bread with a Diet Coke in the middle of the day was really tough. And so if Nicodemus really wanted to have a heart-to-heart with him, he'd need to come by night. It's a sign he wanted to have a more serious dialogue, an uninterrupted discussion. Those are two of the main thoughts as to why Nicodemus came at night. John doesn't tell us which it was or if it was something else. Yet... John makes a point of saying Nicodemus came by night. Because for John, the by night has another connotation. I I, I don't want to take away from the reasons Nicodemus came at night. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But there's something else that John wants us to see here. He wants, this is where the elephants dive uh, into the pool. He wants us to see this idea of light and darkness. And that Nicodemus has his questions, but they've not been illuminated by Jesus. So he comes from the night into the presence of Jesus, the light of the world, to get his questions answered. Jesus is the answer to our questions. Now, there are lots of questions in life. There are what I call small questions. Should I wear this shirt today knowing I will get an email from Dale Hearn asking why I wore a pajama top under my suit coat? It was a small question I asked this morning. Figured he may be out of town, it was worth the risk. <laughs> what am I going to eat for breakfast? What, what, what am I going to eat for lunch? Those are small questions of life. There are big questions in life. What, what should I do with my life should i should i be a lawyer or be a preacher or try to be both should i live um in houston or should i live in new york um, wh- wh- if you're younger what school should i go to what should i major in Should I keep the job I've got now or should I get a different job? Which car should I buy or should I not buy a car at all? Which relationships are worth investing in and which ones are not? These are really big questions. But in addition to those, they're the really, really, really big questions. 
What am I doing in life? What is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Is this just a treadmill that we get on until we fall off? Is there something that I'm supposed to be doing in in this world other than binge watching on Netflix? I mean, what is this drive for significance that I sense? Why do I have issues about justice and injustice? Why does it gall me so much to see injustice? Why am I the way I am? And why do I find it so hard to change some things I'd like to change? Those are really, really big questions. And this passage in John in part is telling us that Jesus is the answer for these questions. Now, some people say, well, I'd like to know how. How is he the answer? How did Jesus tell you to wear that shirt? Well, I think on a lot of those smaller questions like that, Jesus' answer is, hey, you pick it out. You decide. You got this. You can handle this one. Some of the bigger questions, he still wants us to figure out and decide. But the answers are a little more definite. And he's giving more direction. And so we, we, we want, and, and, and the big questions, the really, really big questions, those are the questions where he's driving those answers. And I, and I, I, I had a, a young man one time, a super guy, had a heart for God even at a young age. And, and he was asking me about this and he said, but I'd like very direct answers to my very direct questions. Why can't God just like email me or text me? And I said to him, welcome to the world of growing up. God's made you with a brain and a heart to try to figure these things out under his guidance and oversight. He wants to grow you up. When our children are two, we have fences around them that protect them differently than when our children are 32. God doesn't want us to be spiritual infants. He wants us to grow up. And that includes learning how to make decisions under his guidance and oversight. So it's not an easy thing to do. And it's not something that should be ignored as a result. We have a tendency sometimes when there are challenges and difficulties to just say, I don't want to do that. And so I'm not, if you're saying it's going to be a a growing process and a challenge to learn the will of God in my life, yes, I'm saying that. And your response should not be, well, then I'm just going to stay a baby because I don't, I don't want that. It's too much trouble. No, your response needs to be, okay, let me figure out how to grow up.
and get a little enlightenment into my darkness. Now, if Jesus is the light and Jesus is the answer and Nicodemus came out of the night into the light and learned the answer to his really big questions from Jesus, which, by the way, were written down so you and I could read them and learn the really big answers to the questions as well. Let's look at a different story that John contrasts. We're going to go a little bit later into John chapter 13. You leave Jesus, you leave the light. Here's the passage. Jesus testified. He said this last supper with his apostles. Jesus testified. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, if we're reading the whole passage, it's really interesting because they start saying, uh, I wonder if it's me. wonder if it's me. Think about that for a moment. That in itself speaks volumes. Yeah, we know Peter's Mr. I wouldn't do it. But set aside the uh, Rocky for a moment. Um, the apostles are actually sitting there saying, I wonder if it's me. I wonder if I'm going to betray the Lord. You know, you just wonder if some of them weren't thinking, man, I've been gone from home for three years. It's getting old. Man, all these crowds, all the rest of this stuff. We're just kind of tired of it. Man, I'd like to head home, take a break. Might be having a little burnout. Then they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus has read my mind. So Jesus is talking about betrayal on a whole different level. He says, uh, he says, no, 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 you're wondering who it is. You're asking who it is. It's the one I'm going to give the food to. And he dips the morsel and he gives it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he's taken the morsel, see that? I mean, some people say, did Judas have a choice? Yeah, Jesus says it's going to be the guy I give the morsel to. Jesus gives it, but Judas takes it. So he takes the more. I'd have, I'd have said, I ain't going to touch that. <laughs> hot potato, hot potato, give it to someone else. He takes it. With Jesus having said, the one I give it to, the one that receives it, it's going to be the one. He says, I got this. And he just takes it. Satan enters his heart. And Jesus says to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. So he takes the morsel and immediately went out. And it was night. Bum, bum, bum. Well, of course it was night. They were eating dinner. But John adds it because he's got this theme in his book going of light and darkness, light and darkness. And you got Nicodemus comes out of the night into the light and gets answers to these questions. Jesus, the answer man, is there. And Simon, uh, I mean, uh, Judas, the son of Simon, is Cariot. He takes the morsel knowing what it means. Satan enters his heart and he leaves the presence of Jesus. And goes out into the night. Did not turn out well for Judas in the end. 
the case we were trying uh, for Mitzi and, and the others. I had um, I had a, a doctor for the company on the stand who was making decisions. She said it was her decision whether or not to put a warning on the bottle. Warning. This might contain asbestos. And over half of the bottles that had been tested, tested positive for asbestos. And so I said to her, I said, what's the downside of putting the warning on there? Then we, consumers can choose whether or not to buy this with talcum powder that's got asbestos in it or buy it with cornstarch, which is safe as can be. She said, she starts dancing in the answers. And so I just drew this picture on the Elmo. And I said, if you've got a choice between two different doors, and one of the doors has a greater than 50% chance it's got something that causes cancer in it, and there's no known safe level of exposure to this cancer-causing agent. And the other door is 100% absolutely safe from that perspective. If all other things are equal... They work just as well. They smell just as good. There's absolutely no advantage to the one that has a 50% chance or greater of having the cancer-causing agent in it versus the other one. Which door are you going in and which door are you taking your infant in? Well, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? I mean, honestly, who in their right mind is going to say everything's the same? Yes. Only difference is this door gives me a 50% chance of getting exposed to something that can kill me miserably? Yes. Well, I want that. (laughs) Nobody. That seems a no-brainer. Here's the problem. Jesus is the light. The choice of whether or not to be with Jesus is just as stark. And yet for some reason, all of us at times in our lives choose the darkness. All of us at times in our lives choose the darkness. We're idiots. I mean, seriously. If we're in our right minds and we're thinking about it, it shows you the depths of the fall and how deeply ingrained sin is in our old man, our old woman. Okay, the Bob talks about this in his album, Slow Train Coming. In the song, Precious Angel. So let's keep going. Vignettes. John 11, 9 through 10. Thank you, Janet Seifert, for fixing that slide. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is saying, make the most of my presence with you. 
Make the most of it. Walk with Jesus. He's the light of the world. You want to walk with the light. If you don't walk with Jesus, you're stumbling through this world. If you don't walk with the light that Jesus gives into your life, you're stumbling through this world. If you don't have the answers Jesus has to your questions, you're stumbling through this world. So what we are to do is we are to walk with Christ. Now, John gives a similar thing in one of his epistles. So look at the wording to this epistle because it, it elucidates some of what he's saying. It, 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 it comments on what he's just said here. In 1 John 2, 8 through 10, he says, At the same time, it's a new commandment I'm writing to you, new in a sense of fresh. Not, uh, gee, I never heard that before. It's a fresh commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Jesus said, if you go back to that earlier slide, the one who walks in the night stumbles because the light's not in him. John would come back and comment on it later and say, if you love your brother, you abide in the light. And there's no cause for stumbling. Now, this is a rabbinical approach. It's not only saying love your brother. That is one of the the commandments. Jesus said the the two greatest, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second's like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he's saying here. In that is wrapped up all of the law. How we treat others, how we live our lives, what we do is an indicator of whether or not we're walking with Christ. That's whether or not we're following Jesus. The church needs to be known. My brothers and my sisters, we need to be known as a group of people who show the love of Jesus. That needs to be the first thing people say when they talk about us. They need to say, oh, those people, man, they just love folks. They seek to serve them. They care for them. They don't try to run over them. They don't try to use them for their own good. They actually take to heart the message of the light that has shined into the darkness of their souls. You see, our problem is we've got closets where we keep dark things. We've got those little boxes on our shelves where we keep dark things. And John is saying, no, Throw it open. Let the light shine in. 
Let Jesus take care of this. This is the love of Jesus. It exposes the dark things of the world and brings light and life to them. That means that He takes the dark parts in your life and mine. And He says, I want to come in and I want to give life to that. I want to give light to that. I want to change it for the better. This is loving Christ, John 3. This is the judgment. The lights come into the world. The problem is people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his works should be exposed. I don't want you to see this. No, give it to Jesus. Let Him explore it. If you want to know where your heart is loving Jesus, look at what you're doing and how you're living. Because who you love is reflected in what you do. So this is where John's commenting on it also in 1 John 1. If we walk in the light... We throw open the dark boxes. We throw open the dark closet. If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship. Koinonia in the the Greek is commonness. We have fellowship. We have a commonness with one another. Not just us, but Jesus. And you say, yeah, but I've got these dark places. That's the point. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of it. He takes, he shatters the darkness. The darkness cannot exist in the presence of Jesus any more than a box of light can exist in this room if I take away the sides and open the lid. Just can't do it. They're mutually exclusive. That's the analogy. That's the metaphor. That's why Jesus is the light of the world. And look, I need a good cleansing. We all do. And if you don't believe me, Listen to the Bob in Slow Train Coming and the song Precious Angel. As you're driving through the rest of your day, week, month, life, shine your light. Make it your prayer to Jesus to shine his light into the darkness in your life. Those areas where you're too blind to see. Those areas where, look, the heavens, some of the worst is when we don't think we need any more light. The story of the the publican and the tax collector that Jesus told. The publican, the, the, the man who's feeling really good about himself. Walks down the street and sees the sinner on the other side. And looks up, looks God straight in the face. Says, oh Lord, thank you that I am not like that Sinner over there. And Jesus says, meanwhile, the sinner over there doesn't have the courage and the arrogance to look up at God, but he bows his head. He smotes his chest instead of sticking it out proudly. Smotes his chest and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asked, which one went to his house justified before the Lord? It's the sinner. 
And my tendency is to read that and to say, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that publican condemning the sinners. I'd like to congratulate you on helping me get this high measure of humility such that I'm better than everybody else. No, we need to be (laughs) recognized seeing ourselves in the publican and striving to become the sinner who seeks God's light in our lives more fully than we ever have before. So your benediction, before I I get to say, God willing, I'll see you next Sunday, which just thrills my soul uh, to say, because I haven't been able to say that in a while. Um, The benediction is this, from Paul, yet on topic. To him who is the blessed and only sovereign. Whoops, there we go. To him who is the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Who alone has immortality. Who dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no one has seen or can see in that pure state. To him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.